Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are going to talk about a phenomenon called a quarter life crisis. Yeah, this is a new science, new, I think the oldest uh, it was ever coined was about the 60s. So not the 60s, yeah. really? It went back that far. Mm-hmm. A German guy named Eric Erickson. Interesting, because but, I thought it was a 90s phenomenon. Well, pop pop psychology, you know, yeah. and in these fields, young is different than yeah, that's true than what young really is. So uh, it didn't really, you know, that's like the the earliest. That's like the guy who made, um, I don't know, a commercial magnet. Probably made it about 30 years before it got popular. You know, maybe that's a bad example. Wow, well, that's but, random. Where'd you get that? Did you pull that out of the air? Yeah, magnets. I mean, You've been thinking about magnets? Lately? No, I was just trying to think. You know, you know how it is. Like <laughs> the guy who first makes it rarely succeeds. That's true. Yeah, like the Velcro. Velcro, sure. Um, the what is it? Uh, Scotch tape. The guy who made uh, fidget spinners. Oh, made, yeah. Or, you think or, those were around for a while? They were. They were around for a long time. A woman made them for her uh, uh, attention deficit child, and they and, were around uh, for a long time before they hit. Mm-hmm, before popular. they became like huge. Wow. Well, it was kind of flash in the pan. But are they already gone? Yeah, they, they're not cool anymore. I don't think. Let us know in the comments, or they might not be cool for twenty-five year olds, twenty-four year olds. Maybe not twenty-four. Twenty-four. Um, but yeah, recently turned still, twenty-four. So happy birthday, John! Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but the like, as I was saying, the the hype is now is is now now with the with millennials in this age group yes. that the quarter life crisis finds itself, and it's in. for real. And we'll talk about all that. Yeah. First, though, it is story time and or joke time. And uh, normally we alternate, but uh, my dad had a really cool experience today, and uh, so he's going to go with story. All right, so uh, it is John's turn. So you'll have to do two in a row. Uh, well, I don't. For I don't those know who about are that. keeping I score never, at home, I never agreed to that. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, it was really cool today. Uh, I had been invited for this day about a month ago, and uh, today I went to the Joint Base Lewis McCord and uh, spent the day with the Washington Air National Guard. And what that included was, first of all, some briefings by a couple of generals. Then we went over to uh, the um, Western Area uh, Strategic Defense. Hmm. And these guys monitor everything in the sky over the contiguous United States. Whoa. Everything. Wow. Everything down to about uh, 200 feet to the ground. Jeez. So if there's a flight, and this was and this was kicked off after 9-11. Yeah, it's part of NORAD. Mm-hmm. And so we got to see, uh, they they sterilized the environment before we went in there. And so we got to go into where they train. We got to go into their command centers and see all these screens. And they cover everything from the Mississippi River to <clears throat> the West Coast. So that's, that's why it's the West. And, and yeah. the East one would cover East and, of Mississippi. Yeah, there's actually a south, Southern as well. Um, and so uh, constantly, every plane in the air is being tracked for erratic behavior. Um, they showed us the detailed. We watched the scramble of the jets when this guy stole this Horizon airplane. Oh, yeah. Not too many months ago and took off flying. They scrambled F-14s out of Portland. And we were all that happened from this command center. And we were watching a replay 
of the exact scenario. Wow. It was really fascinating. We watched the replay of a uh, a Russian plane that had gotten within 40 miles of the California coast. And F-14 scrambled out of Portland and escorted it out of the area. <laughs> escorted it. Yeah. So polite. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> just so that, that all was really fascinating. There yeah. was a flight that disappeared, and they were able to track by going back in time to their monitors and track where they predicted the crash site would be. And they dropped a marker 65 feet from the actual crash site. Whoa. That's how accurate they are. What happened to the plane like that uh, Malaysian flight that disappeared? Well, that's not part of our country. So this is all Northern American, North American uh, uh, air defense. So anyway, we do all that. Really, really cool. And then we hop on a KC-135 and we fly uh, over Idaho, Washington, Montana, and we hook up with a couple of C-17s because there's two of two of these KC-135s. There was a big enough group where we went in two planes. Mm-hmm. And we got to crawl down into what is called the boom pod where this uh, soldier is laying on his belly controlling with a joystick these this boom pod that goes down and fuels the airplane beneath you. Mid-flight. Mid-flight, yeah. So we're at, two, we're at, uh, we're at 20, 21,500 feet going 400 miles an hour. Jeez. And uh, and this is a KC-135 is essentially a Boeing 707. And uh, up flies underneath us a, case, uh, a C-17, which is even bigger. Mm-hmm. And they're staying like 100 feet apart doing 400 miles an hour while this boom lowers in there and starts fueling that thing in flight. So got to watch it from there, got to sit in the cockpit, uh, listen to the pilots and air traffic control, and the planes coordinate with each other. Uh, then they flew us within 200 feet of Mount Rainier. It's like you could reach out and touch it. It just was an amazing day. That's incredible. I uh, got to meet a lot of really impressive officers and enlisted soldiers. Um, made you feel comforted as an American. Uh, we also got to see some uh, some uh, squadrons that handle things like uh, chemical warfare. So we mm. saw these trucks that, that, that can roll out and test uh substances uh we saw weather reporting mobile weather reporting stations we we got to watch uh talk to these guys who handle these uh infrared lasers where they can they can they can uh tag a target from a long distance away so the airplane's missile knows what to hit Uh, we just got a lot of exposure from it was just it was really really a fun day that's really cool. Yeah. So they fed us a box lunch in this KC-135. So while we're flying out towards Spokane to, to do this fueling thing, sit there, eat a, eat a nice little sandwich and chips and a chocolate chip cookie in the plane. And Nice. Was it good? It was. It was really good. Ham sandwich. And uh, they just were super, super gracious and kind. And it was, it was a blast. It was a real bucket list item. That's so cool. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've that that saying uh, west east of the Mississippi. I still got hung up on that a little bit. I was talking to a guy recently. I think it was um, they do. Uh, oh, it was their this warehouse that they had. This company that does um, uh, spine um, adjustment stuff. They mm-hmm. they uh, manufacture and design uh, spinal health things. Mm. Uh, things you're supposed to use throughout your life so you never have to wind up with uh, a bad back when you're older, basically. Like preventative care. Okay. And uh, they have a barreled warehouse, uh, so it has no support beams in the warehouse. The whole ceiling is arched and barreled. 
And uh, he said it's a big deal. He said it's one of five uh, west of the Mississippi. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of neat. But I was like, west of the Mississippi. I wonder if he picked that line because if you go a mile further, there's, you know, 20. Yeah. Wow. I don't I don't think that's actually the case, but it just made me. That's like, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You know, speaking of these chemical guys, they're they're like a chemical response team and and it's airborne, uh on the ground, whatever. They can they can detect it. They have a mobile lab. Mm-hmm. Um they can analyze it on the spot. And they were called out. We were asking them, you know, uh <laughs> what what were some of the more funny things you got called out on? Mhm. And uh, they said, he said he actually went on this call. Uh, somebody found in this, like, it wasn't a city dump, but it was a place where people had dumped a lot of crap. Sure. And he found this 50-gallon barrel with stuff oozing out of the barrel, and there's Ooh. no labels on the barrel. There's no idea where it came from, what's it contained. So they got called out to, to see if this was toxic. Yeah. And he said... They put on their suits and all that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they crack that thing open, and it is fifty gallon barrel filled with petroleum jelly and adult <laughs> toys. Oh, <laughs> gross! Yeah, so uh, serving in the military is not all that glorious sometimes. No, I guess not. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they <laughs> they're there though. <laughs> they're there when you need them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so funny. Uh, anyway, they they had deployed for the mudslide that happened a uh, couple years oh, ago. Yeah, yeah. That was so tragic. Uh, just really cool seeing all the different things they've done and and how they're ready to go on a moment's notice. Uh, the 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 National Guard traces all the way back to what were called the Minutemen in uh, I want to say eighteen eighteen thirty six or something. I thought it was in the Revolutionary War. Is that not I, so? I bet it was. Anyway, they said, we'll be ready in a minute. You know, in a minute's notice, we would be ready. Yeah. And that was the actual birthing of the National Guard. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. There's a little uh, trivia for you and, and just, uh, just a fun trip. I've got pictures. In fact, uh, on the Jim and John Instagram, I took a, an Instagram today um, of me and Captain um, Gregory Firestone. He was the guy who invited me. His wife, Dana, used to work for us at the church. I and still can't get over it. Captain Firestone. Isn't that a great name? That's incredible. I, I, he should be a superhero. Yeah. Captain Firestone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I had an assignment in high school where we had to, it was, it was public high school. We had to go on, uh, Amazon and write reviews for a product, like comedy reviews. It was a creative mm. writing assignment. Oh, so you had to kind of make fun, like a funny yeah. review. Yeah. Cause there's this whole, of a serious product. Yeah. There's this whole scene of people who just write funny reviews on Amazon products. So there's one like, uh, it was like a banana cutter. So it's shaped like a banana and you put a <laughs> banana in there and you just close it on it and it cuts into, into pieces. Oh, like make your own banana splits really easy. Yeah. Or like for like a, uh, banana peanut butter sandwich. Oh, uh, or something, but it's, it's is it long quarters yeah, or is it chopped? Yeah, no, it's, it's like, like a the profile of a banana. Yes, uh, but and, does it cut it in long? No, in, no, like no, a pickle, like or it cuts, cuts it in, across ways. Like okay, little, like little coins, slices. Yeah, yeah, like pickles, banana coins. Yeah, and uh, it was so funny because it's the easiest fruit to cut, and bananas come in varying sizes already. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so like one of the reviews was how talking about how. Um, cutting his bananas this guy's bananas took so much time it was a strain on his marriage he never saw his kids and uh with this product with this product now he, he, his marriage is happy yeah he could be himself his kids say he's always here yeah but one of those products was a a um, 50 gallon barrel of of lube really uh, yeah that was one of the ones that we saw so maybe it was that very maybe one. that was that barrel yeah you know there's a class at the university of michigan 
where I don't know if they still have it. This was years ago. It was an entrepreneurial class in the business college there. Mm-hmm. And um, they were sworn to secrecy. You weren't allowed to talk about the class after you took it. What is this now? Uh, it was a, it was an entrepreneur class in hmm. the business college at the University of Michigan. Sworn to secrecy for an entrepreneur Yes, they class. had a waiting list of students to take it. It was very popular. But once you were in there, you were sworn to secrecy about what you experienced because they didn't want the cat out of the bag. Hmm. So I guess uh, somebody broke the rule because I was sitting on a talk show talking about this class. <laughs> and uh, one of the things they have you do is they have you design a product that you are certain no one would buy. Wow. Okay. So these they get in groups and they form these products and they present them to the class. And then phase two is you have to go out and sell that product. Dang. And so uh, they had some of the products there. They had uh, uh, a jock strap with a cap bill on it. <laughs> That you put on your head, and it was said, "I'm a Michigan uh, athletic supporter." <laughs> another one that was, was probably popular. Yeah, another one was a bottle of water from uh, Mexico being sold as a laxative. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably all popular as like gag gifts. Yeah, for, probably so. White like elephant games yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, we have gone a long time with story time today, so I uh, hope that wasn't uh, exhausting for you. Yeah, let's not. dive into our conversation because I think it's really important and. Uh, quarter life crisis for those of you who don't uh, aren't familiar with the term is uh, psychologists say that um, it, it occurs it, it, as early as 18 years old but um, the the typical bracket is early 20s to early 30s mm-hmm. and it's a crisis uh, it, it can feel like a midlife crisis although there's no trigger this is the interesting thing about it. Midlife crisis is triggered by some certain events, but they're saying quarter life crisis has no trigger. But it's uh, it's this it's this crisis of identity, and mm-hmm. um, is often attached to anxiety about meaning in life and vocational direction. Yeah, it it has no trigger, but it is it does have a cause. You know, so it's, oh, so tell me that. Yeah, so it's it's just um, it is of the era of the the person. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, eighteen to thirty-five, I think, was their their end, their bookend on that. And it's um, uh, when you leave the comfort at the young end, especially you leave the comfort of your parents, or you graduate from college, and uh, and you realize that you don't that that you're now in the world, and you don't really know what's what, and you don't and know the lay of the land. All your expectations didn't really pan out like you thought they would. Yeah. Uh, so that's. More, it's not a specific event, but it's a specific era, a specific attitude yeah. of of not knowing what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Now, um, so a couple of things we want to say. First of all, um, our goal is if you're in that quarter life zone, we want to talk to you about this. And John, you are in that zone, mm-hmm. and uh, as are is your wife and and many of your friends. And so, if you're in the zone, we want to help you process this a little bit. Uh, if you're uh, older than the zone. We, you probably have kids or grandkids or someone else in that zone, and this is good to, to understand how to help them. Um, and I think the conversation really does bleed over for all of us. Yeah. So here's where I want to start, John, is this, this question. Um, you said the term was coined in the 60s, mm-hmm. but I don't remember ever experiencing a quarter-life crisis. I did read about it for the first time. I was 30 years old. Um. That's when a a Christian book came out about the quarter life crisis. Oh, interesting! I was somewhere between thirty and thirty five, and that's the first time I had heard the term. Well, that makes sense. the The nineties was when it when it blew up a bit. Yeah, 
Well, my question is, you know, as I went through that zone of my life, mm-hmm. that quarter, I didn't experience this. Right. You know, I had the bumps and grinds of getting married, finding a job, getting my first apartment. Let's make a run at this. Um, but quarter life crisis was not a thing. Well, it sounds like you, you know, you've told the story about how uh, um, you were, you know, elbow deep in work and uh, and you and mom came into some trouble and you had this kind of reevaluation of your life where you left ministry for a bit. That sounds to me on paper like a quarter life crisis, even if it didn't feel like one. Well, it didn't feel like one because what it was was a marriage crisis. Hmm. And um, I was saying, I'll save my marriage over everything. I won't. I won't let anything come between that. Right. So I walked away from ministry to save my marriage. But then you had that wrestle again of going into ministry or not, you know, of what you wanted to do with the rest of your life. Yeah, I had a great job. I'm an air traffic controller making a good wage. Just got a great future. I would have mandatory retirement in my early 50s, walk away with a lump sum retirement check of $1.8 million. Whoa. And so, what? yeah. And so Sue was like, <laughs> you hey. Never, you never mentioned that very yeah. small detail. <laughs> So she's like, just hold on, don't don't walk away, and I just couldn't. I, I and it wasn't a crisis. I wanted to be a pastor, mm. and so uh, again, I, it wasn't the same kind of thing. So we're we're taking a long way to my question, which is, why now? Mm. Why? Because they, they're saying somewhere between seventy and eighty six percent of people in that age category do in fact experience this. Yeah. And for women, it, they're like 15 or 20% more likely to experience it. Yeah. So why now? Well, I've mentioned before the um, prolonged adolescence is what, of what they call it, of, this, mm-hmm. of the millennial generation, and probably um, the uh, Gen Z, which is, there's less studies in general about it just because it's younger, but uh, of people uh, putting off certain milestones of, of maturity that other generations have been anxious to get to. So driving, leaving the house, oh, yeah. starting a family. And uh, and the kind of the, the fun way to put it is a lot of people call millennials the boomerang generation because they go out and they come back. They right. go to college and they come back in the house and they yep. stay there a lot longer than waiting, other generations. Waiting longer for independence, waiting longer for marriage. Right. So yeah. this kind of, uh, uh, you're in this era of what am I going to do with my life longer? And I think that, that prompts the crisis because if you're, you get out of college and you don't have a job for a month, that's not a crisis. That's a... You know, you're just, you're job hunting, but say you, you know, are in that period for a year or more, two years, that's a crisis that that's an, enough time for you to kind of break down, I think. Hmm. So, and that, not that that issue is unique to this generation that you don't, that you can't find a job in your field or you are, um, uh, underemployed, you know, you're, you're at a job that you're really too qualified for, even though it is in your field. Um, but maybe in this particular generation, because of this um, style of aging, this kind of drawn out mm-hmm. style of aging, mm-hmm. um, it can last longer. So uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because I think the answer to the cause would be the solitary word of expectations. Hmm. That's what leapt at me as I did a little bit of research on this. Um, you know, what are people saying about it? How are they saying to climb out of it? What are they saying? Causing it. And, and it hit me when I saw the conversation about expectations. I thought that seems to be the, the deal because. And, but I don't think it's because what I expected didn't happen. I wonder if it's because I don't even know what to expect. Sure. What do you think of that? Well, I, I had this realization um, where uh, 
If, if you've read, I, I can't remember the, which one. It's the C.S. Lewis, probably The Great Divorce. There's one where he describes heaven, mm. uh, or as best as he can, and uh, talks about how the like a uh, uh, the idea of how real that is compared to our reality, and that if you were to like like a blade of grass there would stab you in the foot because it is so much more real than we are on mm. Earth. This is this this idea of of uh, truer and truer reality. So I had this realization. I interviewed for a job. And, uh, uh, it was just there. Everything has a stereotypes. This job was for a, uh, uh, just a small company mm-hmm. and, uh, to be as nondescript as possible. And, uh, it was not at all what I expected. It was, uh, it was, it was comical. Maybe in years I'll tell this story because <laughs> it's not enough distance yet. But, uh, um, the realization was that all, all of reality, even if it was very close to the stereotype is not going to line up with what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So even marriage, uh, children, you know, anything jobs. So, so like, say you have an idea. I know, I know what an architect does. I'm going to be an architect. Mm-hmm. And then you get, then you, you know, you had this with, uh, your, uh, accounting. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have an accounting degree and go to law school in, in one day. You knew that that wasn't what you oh, thought. It was first day of class. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And yeah. so I think no, no matter, uh, the amount of, of thorough, uh, planning you've done or research the 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 reality of something is always going to uh dent your uh expectations of it what's so, interesting is they're saying that for this group mm-hmm. the most critical day of their job is the first day and yeah. and that they will decide 85 percent of the time on the first day whether they're going to stay in this job or not that's fascinating to me yeah yeah why do you think that is man I'm not, uh, we talk a lot about uh, generational stuff. I'm not at all well read enough on this to tell you, but you know, hmm. uh, one of the jokes about millennials is they want to change the world by Friday. <laughs> and, uh, when you think about having this romanticized idea of your job and then you walk in and that romance is shattered, mm-hmm. it's so devastating. It's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's that. Well, I mean, that's definitely a, a real thing that happens. That's happened with me um, with even with just, uh, you know, I, in some ways the, the the reality is is better than what you thought, because it's always going to be more complicated. No, mm-hmm. no amount of uh, imagination can really, really, you know, prepare yourself for anything. So like going to the dorms, yeah. I heard it was going to be a fun time. It was it was too fun to do schoolwork is really what it was. I mean, me and my buddy joked that it was detrimental to our, it was like designed for you to do poorly at school because of how, how fun that environment is, uh, not to drop off the accountability for my grades or whatever, but, um, so it's not always a bad thing, but, uh, I, I, and the, the, what I struggle here with is because that idea is true. I don't know why it would be only true for millennials. That idea of, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. I'm That's out. what I'm fishing for. Right. How come this particular group, I would say, I, I would argue for the first time in American history, is experiencing this kind of crisis at this age group, at this age zone? Sure. And I'm curious why. So I want to play around with, with some theories as to why. Yeah. I know that we found that the uh, average age you're the one that found this. Tell me it, about this. Uh, 26, 26 and years nine months. and nine months. That's the that's the average age that someone hits this wall. And this was a this was a British study, but uh, you know Western cultures, it's probably about the same, uh, just because our cultures are pretty uh, homogenous. But um, yeah, I think that's that's average, probably with a few different things. With because not every every millennial went to 
college, you know, that, that changes. And, um, and I found actually that a lot of the times going to college kind of prolonged my adolescence compared to other people who didn't oh, yeah, go. Yeah. They just, you know, moved on with it. Well, when you go to a Christian college, sometimes it's like going to youth camp for right. four years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things that can mess with that. But really what was important to note was that although the, the cause oftentimes is leaving the house, um, the realization that you don't know what you want to do with your life. That's the reason why it lasts till 35, because all through your early adulthood, this could just happen where you realize, uh, what I, what my plan was, isn't, I don't want that anymore, or that's not going to work out, or I can't have that. So, uh, I think that's why there are a lot of people in their early thirties who have this same thing where mm-hmm. they, you know, they realize they're at a job they hate and they don't know what, to, what else they want. What do I do about that? Right. And by the time you're in your thirties, you, you've got some financial obligations probably by now. Right. And it's hard to just flip on a dime and say, well, I don't care about money. I'm going to just go do this. Yeah. I'll take a swing at why it's the millennial generation. We talked about this a little bit in our generations one where um, the priorities of life were a little different. So maybe the um, Gen X or boomer generations uh, were more comfortable with the I'm going to work this out till I retire and make a difference in my, you know, in my small world and enjoy my weekends, vacations, retirement, where the values now are. I want to be big. I want to make a difference. You know, I want to change the world. Hmm. And so maybe with the values that the millennial generation has, when you're in your 30s and you're not making a difference and you can't see anything changing in the near future, that throws you into a crisis. Okay, I got two questions for you. Okay. One is you mentioned in the past, uh, actually this wasn't in a podcast, you and me in Dallas, my buddy, were having coffee together. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said a statement that I've heard in my head now multiple times because it surprised me that you made this statement. Uh Uh-oh. And you said... Hey, man, the world changed in 2008. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. So what do you think that has to do with this? I don't know if I worded it like that because there are bigger world changes in 2008. 2001 was like, that's like a pre and post situation. That's 9-11. That's like, that's like, you know, one. Well, 2001, the world changed because of fear. Right. But 2008 was an economic crisis. And what it did was it created a world where your generation says the American dream is no longer a promise. Right. I can't I can't count on a, a pension that I worked hard for to be there for me. I can't count on social security. Um that that the that the rules all changed. It, and so what I walked into and I could say, well I'm gonna do this for this long and this for this long and I'll have this at the end mm-hmm. and I'll have this retirement life. You indicated that you don't feel that promise. It inspired doubt for sure. Um, and a lot of it is in uh, doubt of the future is kind mm-hmm. of how I view it. Is, is now yeah, it seems, not today. Right. Right. Um, that all of these systems that are getting built up higher and higher and higher and more buyouts and more buyouts and more buyouts. Eventually, it's got to hit a critical mass and come crashing down again. And you have the character issues where you have companies like Enron have these beautiful mission statements and then they're up there just robbing everybody blind right. and it collapsed. And right. You know, you have the housing crisis where now, uh Oh, is home ownership ever going to be possible for me? Right. And then you have, you know, church leaders fall with, you know, and political leaders uh, having sex with interns and, you know, you, so, so everything that my generation thought you could trust, mm-hmm. you guys feel like you can't trust any of it. 
Yeah, and that might have been, you know, if you want to talk about factors, that might have been exacerbated by uh, the internet and visibility, social media. Um, you know, I can I can basically send a text message to the president of the United States on Twitter like that. Like I could just I that could is just crazy, that. isn't it? Yeah, and so like the whole idea of you know a presidential <laughs> tour like that is so old school. I don't, you know, yeah, I could. I could I could tweet at the guy right now. Yeah, you, know? you don't need him to come to Olympia. Right. So uh, that whole thing is different. Now you can just see into That's everyone's really personal lives all the time. Um, and so, you know, like, and that's why I, I had this thought why, because uh, we have two, um, like, uh, moral figures that have researched. It's uh, Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers. And recently they've both just blown up. There have been two movies about Mr. Rogers in the last, like, year and a half. Uh, no movies about Bob Ross, but people have been streaming. Uh, the there is a movie coming out about Bob Ross, I think. I bet you there is. Yeah. But uh, it's been crazy. And I was wondering, why don't we have any more? Now, see, I hadn't noticed that. Tell me tell me what, what your connection you're drawing there. What, what, what my, you... my connection is that we don't have currently that I know any of. Any heroes. Any heroes like that. Any morally impeachable, unimpeachable uh, heroes. Yeah, I mean, you those know? guys were just gold. Yeah, and no one would ever, you know, if, if a scandal came it, there, it'd be like if Bill, with the whole Bill Cosby thing happening. It'd, right. it'd be like if anything came out about one of those guys. Yeah. would be like, that was my childhood. But Bill so, Cosby is another one that undercuts your confidence right. in the human condition. Exactly. So maybe, you know, and that happened in this era. That didn't happen back in the 90s right. when he was big or even 80s. I, I don't know my, my more recent pop culture history. Yeah. But so that's kind of a, that's striking to me. Why? Why that doesn't happen anymore? That's really, really interesting. Yeah. If you were to pick a modern day human being that you go, I trust that guy. Who who comes to your mind? Well, if I'm going off public consensus, it's Keanu Reeves. Right now, Keanu Reeves is 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 morally unimpeachable. <laughs> uh, all this Me Too stuff started happening. Yeah. I've saw multiple tweets and posts saying that if if anything comes about comes out about Keanu Reeves, my faith in humanity is gone. <laughs> <laughs> because he just seems like the nicest he's guy. He's the one guy, yeah. He's the one guy who, uh, there's there's pictures of him, like he was at this uh, shooting range training for John Wick, and he, he beat this record. And so these, you know, kind of uh, scantily clad young women are right. crowding on him for the picture, and he has his arms around him, but if you zoom in, his hand, he has his hands like, like several open-handed. inches, uh, open-handed away Behind from them. Him, yeah. And uh, just like not touching their yeah. bodies in any way. Yeah, there's no, no dirt on Keanu Reeves. So that's the public consensus. Yeah. Uh, my personal answer would be maybe someone like Billy Graham. He's he seemed uh, yeah. externally to really be consistent. So if I found out something about him towards the end of his life, you know, if something he did in his twenties, so maybe know, a thing. factor for midlife. I mean, for a quarter life crisis is a pessimism. Yeah, a, about human beings, about organizations, about the reliability of the government, the the trustworthiness, predictability of the economy. Yeah, like. Like, what can I exactly count on? One of the articles I found on this subject said it was a young woman, and she said, you find yourself uh, both drawn to the church and repelled by it at the same time. Hmm. What do you think of that? Uh, well, I was going to ask you, actually, the the drawn to it makes sense to me. I was, I'd be curious to see these statistics, which I'm sure uh, aren't quantified right now, but on quarter life crisis, excuse me, within and without the church. So, uh, because it seems to me that a huge part of his identity mm-hmm. is, um, I don't know who I am because so much of our identity is related to what we do for work, where we live, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so if, if you suddenly don't know what your like title is, like in college, a ma- your major is like your clan, like being like a, right. a nursing major at Northwest meant something before I even know who you are. 
So uh, if you graduate and then you're not in that field anymore, that's a big identity shift. So if you're oh, in the church, yeah. you have a a um, foundational identity that may be a little hard to shake. Um, so I could see that being drawing, you know, being part of a clan that isn't as um, what's uh, you know wobbly. Yeah, but and but then you have friends who are gay, and the church has this posture towards homosexuality, and mm-hmm. so then you're in a crisis. And uh, man, can anybody explain to me the God of the Old Testament who seems to be just totally pissed off and right. killing people? And so you start having some obstacles that push you away from the church at the same time you're drawn to it or need it more than ever. Mm-hmm. And so that's a factor. Let me ask you this, because I was thinking about 2008, and then I was thinking about this question. What's the role of social media in the quarter-life crisis conversation? I think it plays the same role there as it does in a lot of um, depression and, and anxiety. So anytime you see um, a person's, not anytime, grand statement, oftentimes you see a person's uh, social media um, patronage match their anxiety mm. and fall with their anxiety. Oh, that's uh, interesting. So if they have high patronage, they have high anxiety. Exactly. If they reduce their patronage, their anxiety de- exactly. decreases. Yeah, especially now. Is this something you have seen scientifically no, proven, or scientifically is this anecdotal? Proven. This is statistics. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wish I had the figures, but um, I think it plays the same way. So uh, if you see people, you know, getting jobs in their field, young professionals, you know, in a Manhattan sky rise or mm-hmm. something, you know, even not even that extreme. They're just, you know, maybe they're a paralegal out of law school, or they're in law school and they're paralegal, or they. You know, got a they're a, a fresh hire at a PR firm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and you see this all all around you. All these people your same age getting jobs that you didn't get. This happened to me when I, I graduated, and I went into uh, work at a coffee shop. And uh, uh, two of the people that I wrote on the student paper with had jobs at a newspaper in Bellevue. Uh, and one who graduated before me was doing PR for a, I think like a like a cow. Like a ranch, a cattle ranch. But still, I was like, it's the it's the field. Uh, anyway, so so that probably doesn't help. Where if you if you're oblivious, like you, even before social media, you could keep up with people still. But it wasn't the same. It's not it's not like there all the time. Now, what's interesting is everybody knows that their social media life is not real, right? It's 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 a highlight reel of moments, mm-hmm. but it certainly doesn't tell the whole story. Like everybody knows that. Why are we still duped by that? Because knowing something and really internalizing it are different things. Mm-hmm. You know, if if every guy who knew a lot about the Bible was a, a sinless Christian, you know, it's just not how that works. <laughs> you can you can know a whole lot of stuff and still be pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, Solomon did a bunch of really dumb things, and he's the smartest guy there was. Um, but I don't really know. And, and what, I think what falls through those cracks there and why a lot of those people, even in those positions I said, the people who get an early position in their field, um, you know, they have these quarter life crises too, because that job isn't what they thought it was. So yeah. then you see them get this job. What you don't see is, uh, the pay sucks. They might not be going where they want to be going. They realize the job isn't what they thought it was. Uh, they don't like their boss or some kind of toxic work, but anything, anything. Okay. So let me ask you this. Cause that, that, what I would say as the old guy looking at this mm-hmm. from the cheap seats, it looks like Man, you just can't make you just can't be made happy. Yeah, maybe. Uh, like, um, I just want to say, well, what's wrong? <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you know, what's you wrong? Have had jobs you didn't like. We talked about this recently. Oh you, man, yeah, yeah. So what was wrong? I hated my job. Yeah. So, but I didn't go into the fetal position. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I quit the job and found another one. 
Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think, I think, you know, I wonder, did every kid get in a trophy no matter what? And then you have all this screen time, man, video games, and now telephones and social media and screen time and binging on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think screen time has to be a factor. Uh, but uh, I wonder if there's parts of uh, the the strong self that has not been developed for some reason, the strong sense of self. I could see talking about that prolonged adolescence again, yeah. uh, a sense of not having the um, experience of relying on yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, the longer you're on your own and taking care of your own problems, the more you're just comfortable with knowing that you can handle things. And when I talk to people your age, mm-hmm. Uh, they have a laser-focused list on what they suck at. Hmm. But they have very lack of clarity about their strengths and their gifts and their talents. Sure. Do you resonate with that? A little bit. Uh, I think one of the one of the um, benefits of, of finding a calling uh, early, even if that gets rocky in this quarter-life crisis, is you make a narrative about your life. So, um, you know, I've... Uh, felt like I was called to be a journalist. So then all, all instant, basically instantly my, my narrative of my life goes to, um, I was called to this. I've been prepared for this with gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm probably a gifted writer if I'm just doing the numbers. Sure. And that's just kind of, and a, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. And it, it can also probably be kind of foolish without, cause you're not thinking that hard about it at that point. You're just looking at the, the yeah. story of it. Um, but for me, because of that, that hasn't always been an issue for me. Not to say my self-confidence has been high. High, right. But uh, if you ask me that question, I'd have an answer for you. Okay. So um, I want to talk about what do you do if you find yourself there? Um, are you ready for that part of the conversation? Yeah. Or do you have more to say about what gets us there? I think we've covered what gets there. And I think uh, if you're listening to this and you're – if you're 35 or under, maybe even a little older than that, you I think you can at least see what's going on, if not have experienced it yourself. And encouragement number one is, if you feel this way, you are not alone. No, this is a this huge is thing. super normal. Yeah. It is the new normal. Yeah. And to have this sense of anxiety, this sense of um, um, nervousness about the lack of predictability about your future. Uh, a sense that I don't even know what job I should have. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself. A lot of the uh, people I read talked about this extreme desire for just clarity. I want clarity. Mm-hmm. So when people start giving advice, and man, if you Google this, you'll find uh, lots of stuff, blogs and research and articles and psychologists and uh, TED Talks and all kinds of stuff about what should you do yeah. to get out of this quarter life crisis? One more thing I forgot to mention. Uh, one of the reasons that it goes a little older than just right outside of college or mm-hmm, high school mm-hmm. uh, is the immediate search out of those two periods of life is for um, consistency and security. So I need mm-hmm. to get in a job that's not seasonal and full time and I need to get a house or an apartment and preferably a romantic partner. And you just check, 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 get your life kind of stabilized and then you're parked. And then when that goes on for too long without any kind of shift or, or when you, when you mellow in that a little too long, then you get into a lot of times this quarter life crisis. Okay. So, uh, I like the list you just gave. I, I got to have a 
stable job, mm-hmm. a stable place, place to, to live, live yeah. and a stable romantic partner. Mm-hmm. And if you if you suddenly don't have one or more of those and you're watching Facebook all the time and other people do, yeah. That is a dagger. That or or I think what the studies are saying, not that that's not true, but but when you're comfortable there and then you wonder, well, what am I doing now? You know, where's my life going now that I'm comfortable? So you got so you got comfortable without those three? No, that you got comfortable with them. So I'm oh. saying when you're when you're hungry for those and you're searching, you're not asking existential questions because you you have uh, yeah purpose. To solve. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a mission. Then you're comfortable, and then you have these ex- existential questions: Where am I going? Am I going to last with this person I'm dating? Um, I want a bigger house, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Interesting. So that's when you start noticing parts of the job you have that you hate right all right let's let's uh let's take our little commercial break and then what we're going to talk about is what do i do now yeah i I find myself in this quarter life crisis um what are people saying and then maybe what you and i might suggest for how to move forward yeah how to move forward sounds good yeah so uh man we just want to first of all thank you for listening to this podcast we want to encourage you to stop by jim and john.com j-i-m a-N-D-J-O-N.com and check out our blogs there and um, keep up with us. Drop a comment through there. We'd love to have you join the upstream team and be a part of what we believe God is asking us to do with this whole journey we're on. And so consider that. Uh, Also hit subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening to us on. We'd love to have you subscribe and uh, tell a friend. Be great if you told a friend. Yeah, uh, word of mouth is huge. We're also doing a promotion till the end of this month. Oh yeah, if you, uh, you for the comments, you can either leave a comment on the website. There's a little form there, or you can just email us directly with your uh, email. It's uh, info at jimandjohn.com. and uh, we will uh, draw a raffle at the end of the month of all the people who have emailed us for yep. the month. And, and we've uh, gotten a few of those. So yeah. get your name in there, and, and it's for a free copy of the Pursuit. I don't know. Free if I copy of the Pursuit. It's a book that we wrote. Um, came out in January of this year. And it's a uh, kind of a 40-day self-journey um, devotional guide through the essential basics of biblical Christianity. Yeah. So if you want to check out what Christianity is all about, it's a great tool for that. If you want to deepen your own faith, it's a great tool for that. Or if you want to give it to a friend or a family member as a Christmas gift, be great for that. So uh, you can buy that book on our website, but you can win it by just uh, contacting us info at Jim and com, or uh, leave a comment on our webpage and your name will go in the drawing and we're making that drawing on October 1st. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So John, uh, let's talk about moving out. Now I, I made a list of some of the advice I found and frankly, a lot of this advice seemed to have one thing in common to me. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you think it is that's in common. Okay. Some of this advice was, um, to engage with a group of people like uh, engage one of, one of the comments was engage with your surroundings like start connecting don't hibernate don't hide in your room shut down mm. but engage and try something new uh, take a cooking class uh, volunteer somewhere but engage uh, in your immediate surroundings um, one was uh, cut the cord and talking about the technology cord Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Turn off Facebook, turn off your social media, get rid of the screens and get outside. Um, but to shut those those uh, social media platforms, especially 
cut them out of your life. Um, another one was to lean hard into your friends. Another one was to develop a side hustle, uh, start a hobby or a side business that uh, takes your time. It may be a craft or something you enjoy that you never thought would be a revenue stream, but do it anyway. Um, that uh, tell yourself it's normal. Okay. Hmm. Some people said travel, go somewhere new. What do all those things have in common to you? I don't know about all of them because the tell yourself it's normal. That that yeah, that's the, the that's the outlier. Okay, good. So yeah. I would say uh, it's all proactive and uh, um, breaking of your your self pity uh, bubble. So it's it's um, you know engage in other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, like I was saying, with the the boredom leads to the existentialism. You know, get get busy. You know, don't just sit there and think about it and wallow yeah. in, in yourself. Yeah, there's a school of psychology called behavioral psychology, and the idea is that you can behave yourself into mental or emotional health. Yeah, smile and then you'll be happy. Yes, yeah. and uh, I happen to believe there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and if you start acting like the person you wish you were, or you know, start making the decisions the guy you wish you were would make if in this situation, uh, it does in fact change how you feel. Hmm. Uh, depression, for example, makes you want to get in the bed, put dark curtains over the windows, and stay in the dark. Right. And simply by getting out of the dark and getting out of the bed, you can, in fact, start to change some of your feelings. Right. So that's a good point. This That's not what I thought they had in common, but oh. they do, in fact, have that in common to try a different pattern. Do, do something different. Sure. That's great. That's good. Um, by the way, the, the mental part of that, um, which was to, uh, tell yourself it's normal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, th- there was another couple of pieces of advice is, um, because the bad, the struggle sometimes is verbalized this way. I'm not meeting everyone's expectations of me. Hmm. And, uh, my life is not what people expected it to be. So, you mentioned the degree. I've got the degree in this, and I'm not doing that. Right. So now I'm letting people down, or I'm not meeting expectations. Do you think there's anything there? I think there's a ton there. Post uh, graduation of high school, leading up to that graduation, and then leading up to college graduation, two of the most um, uh, they're they're uh, electrify electrifying air there. There's a there's a, a an excitement in the whole ordeal. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk out of the stadium where I graduated college and all of your professors are standing in a line down the hallway mm. and they're like ushering you out into the world to go, you know, shake things up. Yeah. It's a huge thing. So then you just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. trip on the, the parking lot going out of there and you find yourself not where you are and you think everyone who believes in me, I'm letting them down. I think that's a huge I've let them all down. Yeah. Okay. So one of the advices is, and it's on that side, you know, uh, understanding your mind, um, this is normal. What I feel right now is normal. Also to say in your mind, why should I care what anybody else thinks? Hmm. So those are thinking solutions to change the way you think. But the other ones all had in common, in my mind, this idea that the answer is out there. I need to travel the world. I need to make new friends. I need to go experience new experiences. I need to try new hobbies. It's like I'm going to go out and find myself. Sure. (laughs) 
And uh, this is the part where I think there's some wisdom from God that would point you a different direction. Now, translating all those the way you did, hey, get up, Mm -hmm. get proactive. Don't just sit there, do something. That's great advice. So I don't mean to say that those are not good advice. Sure. But there's a the what 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 they all started to realize in my head, they lined up as go out there and find yourself. Go out there and find the answer. It's out there and if you keep moving, you'll find it. Yeah. And um why do you think uh I don't like that answer? Why do I think you don't like that answer? Why do, why do you think that I think God's answer might be a little different than that? Um, because I think the idea of a capital T truth of a foundational truth is that if it's true in one place, it's true everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to need to go far to figure out this thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. The, not that, that you're going to find the answer that you're looking for necessarily in Scripture. It might be a very particular yeah. problem. But that the um, that the idea of finding yourself outside in the world going on an adventure and finding yourself might not it doesn't exactly align um with yeah the, with with scripture you know now that, that I, now that we're talking about this i i'm realizing i'm gonna probably contradict myself um <laughs> because um you do have to get outside of yourself psychologists talk about uh, an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control so when i say i can't be happy because i've let jonathan down Mm-hmm. I can't be happy because I'm not meeting other people's expectations. Uh, I can't be happy because John says I'm a terrible person. What I've done is I've handed you the keys to my own uh, sense of self and my own happiness. Mm-hmm. And now you're the one who gets to decide if I'm happy or not. That's an external locus of control. Yeah. I need these things to be, I, I am whatever they say I am. Or the, the internal, you can operate independently. Of independently the because you know who you are. And the measuring stick, the ruler you're using, is in nobody's hands but your own. I would add that that ruler is in your hands and God's hands. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I am who God says I am. And I have the value God says I have. And I have the future that God says I have. And I have a purpose that's bigger than try a new hobby uh, travel, see a piece of the world. Right. I have a I have a purpose to attach to that is eternal, and that is in fact about changing the world. The stakes are really high, and so I think that. Um, so this would you could still say, well, this is still finding the answer outside of yourself, which it is. It's finding that answer in the eternal uh, God story. Yeah, if I had to, if I had to part with a final piece of uh, a takeaway slash uh, what I might suggest if you're in a quarter life crisis is um, that uh, we do have, you know, a type of through line through our lives as, as Christians, as Christ followers. Yeah. You know, we have kind of a, a, a life jacket. And so um, really uh, making a difference, like you said, looks different for us mm-hmm. than it does uh, a lot of the world. Um, and that there's a lot of tools that we have through the the church and just through um, having technology in the Western world. So there's the uh, strength finder assessment. There's mm-hmm. um, spiritual gifts assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all connections through your church. So if you're um, if you're looking to mix things up, or if you think that you know you don't have anything any strengths in particular, there are tools for you to look at there 
Um, but I think what you said really is really the core of it where, uh, you should be able to be content mm-hmm. and, in pretty, uh, averse situations. Yeah. And I, and I have this belief, uh, that, that goes this way. If you can figure out who God made you to be, then you can figure out what God made you to do. And so if you go on this quest of, man, God, who did you make me to be? Yeah. What's my history? What's my makeup? What's my DNA? What's my temperament, my personality? What are the issues in this world that make me pound a table that I get angry about? Um, what what uh, culture am I a part of? On and on and on. The more you can understand who God made you to be, the more clarity you can begin to have about what God made you to do and then perhaps give you some direction. I want to make sure that this doesn't sound like I have no compassion for this or no sense that there's um, helpful tools that aren't just, you know, Bible Jesus tools. Sure. So uh, I I absolutely believe that connecting in community, for example, is a pivotal part of this. Isolation would be the worst thing you can do when you're in this kind of crisis. Totally. Okay. So, uh, man, we're out of time. But here's what we want to say. If you are struggling with your quarter-life crisis and you'd like to talk about it, email us. If you would like to have some references on some books you could read or some uh, counselor references, or no matter what part of the country you live in, if you're looking for a community of faith and you say, hey, can you guys help me find somewhere to go start having a conversation? We actually would put a little work into helping you find some resources there because it's a big deal. Totally. Yeah, we want you to flourish. Yeah, we hope this was helpful for you. Uh, we're here every Monday at uh, uh, eight a.m. We'll be here next week. Haven't figured out the topic yet, so I won't give you won't give you a teaser. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you guys have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening.